If you're in the book of Genesis, that's where we're going to start. I'll kind of let you know what we're going to do this week. I've taken all the scriptures that we're going to turn to, and I've put them on slides this week. I got some feedback that it was a little tough to flip through all the scriptures we went through last week. We need to kind of do the same thing this week. It won't be quite as fast-paced, but you're welcome to keep up on the screen. If you're fast flipping through the verses, you're welcome to turn to them in your own Bible. And then when the service is over, if you... Don't have a chance to write down what verses you want to go back and look through. Uh, I've got all the verses printed out and some handouts down here on the front row. Does that make sense to everybody what we're going to do? All right, sound good. Let's start out by going to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump into his word. Lord, we thank you for all your many blessings. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your power over the grave. And Father, we thank you that you are at work in our lives Father, I pray that during the rest of this hour, Father, I pray that you would feed your people. And Father, I pray that you would use me to do it. Lord, we pray you'd forgive us where we fail you. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to walk in newness of life that only you can bring. And it's all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've talked about worship over the last two weeks. This is our third week in talking about worship. And then we're going to kind of take a break from worship and we'll have our revival service next week. The first week we started in the book of Genesis and we looked at what worship was through the life of Abraham. We kind of tracked his life and then we looking at what worship is. We then we jumped over the next week to the book of Exodus through the life of the Israelite people. And we talked about what worship was not. Okay, and so this week we're going to talk a little bit more about what worship is and and what it looks like in our lives. And we're going to do it by pointing out God's overall purpose for our life. And hopefully this is going to make sense to you. And so we're going to start again in the book of Genesis. And we're in Genesis chapter 2 verse, let me put on the screen. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says this. Even as, as awkward as it is not for me to look at my Bible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it off the screen so I'm not bouncing back and forth. Uh, you know, we don't use technology very often because technology in our church has a tendency just to crash at all the wrong moments. And so, but I'm going to give it a shot. Just know that I got my Bible open to it and it's the exact same words. And so Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says this. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. So you know, leading up to these verses, that God's created everything that you've ever seen in six days. At the end of the sixth day, he creates man and woman, and he puts them into the garden. And so you see that that man's created outside of the garden. God makes a garden and places the man in the garden. So he's kind of, he, he makes the man, he picks the man up and he puts the man in the garden and he puts the man in the garden that he planted for a very specific purpose. We spend a lot of time talking about what man's purpose was not. Like he wasn't to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he was supposed to uh, be fruitful and multiply. And then there's another purpose that he has. We've talked about this before, but I want you to see if you go over to Genesis chapter two, verse 15, it says, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And so there's a specific purpose that God took man and put him into the garden. And if you remember that God used to walk with man in the cool of the day, and so he's taken man, he put him in the garden to cultivate it and keep it. And what I want you to know about these original words in the Hebrew is that these original words can be used in different ways. 
You following me? Look at me and just give me a head nod. You know that when Moses was given the Old Testament, or the, the, the Pentateuch at least, that he was given to him in Hebrew. That's the language they spoke. It's been translated from Hebrew into English for our reading pleasure, right? And so whenever you translate something, you've got to make decisions as how to translate words. There's, there's Bibles out there that whenever there was a difficulty in translating words, they'll put the, the scholarly notes at the bottom and they'll tell you why they chose the words that they did. Well, these word, this word, cultivate and keep, they show up other places in scripture translated as different words. That word cultivate shows up at other places in the scripture as the word worship. That word keep shows up in other places in the scripture as obey. And so you see that God makes man and he picks up man and he puts him in the garden. And those words can also be translated worship and obey. So he's to worship God and he's to obey the Lord. And the verses that follow Genesis chapter 2 verse 16. Ah, you see. Also, the other thing you need to know about this clicker is that sometimes you think that the, the computer didn't know that you click it. So you click it two or three more times to make sure it knows. And then it advances two or three slides. And so, again, that's me, not Ron. You with me? All right. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. This is right after God puts man in the garden to worship and obey. You find the Lord given a commandment. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man. So, and you realize that man's purpose is to worship and obey because immediately following his purpose to worship and obey, he's given a commandment from the tree of the garden, from, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so this word obey is followed by a commandment of something that Adam and Eve are supposed to do. And so they're going to worship and obey the Lord. When you gladly and joyfully obey the Lord, that's worship also. Following me? When you disobey the Lord, not worship at all. We gave a definition for worship about three weeks ago that said worship is the proper response to the revelation of God. And so Adam and Eve are in the garden. They should be in awe of all of the things that God did. Right? They should be in awe of how beautiful things are. They should be in awe of how great God is walking amongst them. And they should joyfully obey the commandment they're given not to eat of that tree because of how great and majestic God is. Remember that no matter what your favorite thing is to do, if it's baseball, if it's fishing, if it's hunting, whatever your favorite thing to do is, even if your favorite thing is grandkids, all of it gets old after a while. So what your grandparents are like, yes, that's the great thing about grandchildren is you can get rid of them after a while. You send them back home. And so the only thing that's ever existed that could keep your joy and contentment for an eternity is God, right? You will never get tired of how great God is. He will amaze you every day of your existence for an eternity. You will never be able to exhaust how magnificent he is. And every single day you wake up in heaven is going to be a brand new day of wow, isn't the Lord great? Because he's infinite, majestic. He's, he's all sorts of descriptive words that we could use, but he is inexhaustible in his fantasticness, right? Just made that word up because I know you haven't heard it before. Heaven is only going to be able to keep your attention because God is there. If heaven was golf, golf gets old after a certain amount of time, right? It does. All of the things that you could ever think about in life were going to get old and they wear on you after a while. God doesn't have that effect. 
every single day in the life of the believer. If we'll get into his word and we'll learn more about who he is and what he's about and the fantastic things that he's done, it keeps us in awe of how great he is. And heaven is going to be even better because we'll see God with unveiled eyes. And so you have... They're supposed to be worshiping and obeying. And as we keep cruising forward through the scriptures, I've got this guy is going to give about a minute talk on what worship is in his life. And it's well worth listening to. Here you go. Number one thing that God has been screaming at me from the rooftops um, these past couple of years is that my worship to him is way bigger than any song I sing Um, it's way bigger than any church service I attend or my worship to him is literally the life that I live conversations thought life everything that makes me who I am when I offer that to God along with my songs along with because that is worship when I offer all that makes me who I am to Jesus Christ then I'm really worshiping him in spirit and in truth. I want you to think about that as we sing this next song and just ask Jesus to come in. You know, we can't change ourselves, but we can only surrender to the power that changes us. And that's in the power of Jesus Christ. All right, so he shared with you that, that worship is more than songs. It's more than coming to a service. Worship is about giving your life to Christ. And doesn't that match up perfectly with what we've been talking about out of the book of Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, out of Romans chapter 12, that your act of spiritual worship is to give your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice. Give me a little head nod. So you giving your life completely to God is your act of worship. And so I want you to see how this worship plays out in other scriptures. All right, over in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. This is God talking to Moses. God's in the burning bush. He's telling Moses what his plan is. And God says this. And he said, certainly I'll be with you. And this will be the sign that I have sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. And that word worship is the exact same Hebrew word as the word cultivate in Genesis chapter 2 that we were looking at. And so I want you to see that same word. Other places God uses it in a similar fashion. And it's translated as worship. Same word. And so when God takes the people out of slavery in Egypt. To get them to the promised land. I want you to see that their purpose. Is the exact same as it was when they were in the garden of Eden. Man's purpose has not changed at all. Another scripture. If you were to keep going through Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You get to Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse Excuse me. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13. God says you shall fear only the Lord your God. And you shall worship him and swear by his name. And this is the exact same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2 as cultivate. Okay. You're to, you're to keep and cultivate the garden. If we keep going through the scriptures. You get to Psalm chapter 2 verse 11. And I know I'm not being real nice to you folks who are flipping in your Bible. I know I'm not giving you enough time. But it's on the screen for everybody else. And so Psalm chapter 2 verse 11 says, Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. It's that exact same word being used as he used in the garden when he told Adam and Eve to keep and cultivate the garden. And so this is one of the difficulties with, with being a follower of Christ. If somebody came to you, let's just say that somebody gives their life to Christ. You're sharing the gospel with a coworker. You're sharing the gospel with a family member. You're sharing the gospel with your neighbor. And they knock on your door one day and they go, 
this is it. I want to put my faith in Christ. What do I do now? I'm, I believe in Christ. I believe that my sins have been forgiven. I believe that God became a man, dwelt on this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins, rose from the dead. I believe I have an eternal home in heaven. Now, what do I do? What do you tell him? Tell him something like, ah, read your Bible, like pr- pray, like uh, come to church, like come to my church. Then you kind of are stuck, right? You're like, well, I, I think that's the recipe. I think you're supposed to read. Okay, I'm going to put all the stuff I've learned together. And yeah, if you read your Bible, pray and come to church, you ought to be, you'll, you'll be in the same basket as the rest of us. So that's what we need to do. This is what you're supposed to do when you give your life to Christ. You're supposed to worship and obey God. That encompasses all of those things we just talked about. But what that means is that your whole life, when you put your faith in Christ, now belongs to God. And your whole life is to be lived out as worship to God. And so what this means is that for, if you're a mom, that when you're, when you're, if you stay at home with your kids, that the way you parent your kids is worship to the Lord. If you have a vocation, the way that you run your business, the way that you work for your employer, all of those things are to be lived out as worship to God. You following me? And so worship is much more than than singing and praying. It's you giving yourself to the Lord 100% in every aspect of life. It even means that when April 15th rolls around and it's tax time, you're fully giving yourself to the Lord, knowing that it's God's will that you pay taxes. Probably not as much as we have to, but it's God's will that we pay taxes. And so you truthfully and honestly fill out your tax forms as worship, giving yourself fully to the Lord and dealing with whatever the consequences are. So it's every aspect of life should be worship. And that's what worship was in In the Garden of Eden, it was everything that Adam and Eve did, anything that they put their hands to, they did it fully to the Lord and for the Lord. And they obeyed by by staying away from the things that he told them not to do. It's worship and obey. If you keep going through the scriptures, you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. Now something has happened in between Genesis chapter 2, where God told them to worship and obey. Something different has, excuse me, something has happened that changes things. God puts man in the garden to worship and obey. Everything's going smooth. We don't know for how long. Adam and Eve end up rebelling from God, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Give me a head nod. You all know that. That's why we're not in the Garden of Eden right now. And so they've rebelled from God. They've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they've been given punishments. Part of Adam's punishment is that the earth is going to bear fruit through toil and pain, and there's going to be thorns on the ground. And so no longer is garden is, is Adam going to have the magnificent garden that he had before. Now he's going to have to work his fanny off for it. Now, this is before the time of roundup, before the time of shoes and such. He's going to be stepping on thorns. He's going to be digging up weeds. He's going to be tilling the ground now, and it's going to be painful for him to do so. And as, as he does that, he's going to be reminded of his rebellion from God. And so now you have, this is after the fall has taken place, you have that same word show up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden, this was as a punishment for his sin, to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. And so if you were an original Hebrew reader, you would read that originally man was put in the garden to keep and cultivate the garden. But you know how we can use words in different ways, right? 
You know how we can say, you can stump your toe and you can go, oh, that's great. Or you can, your kids can bring home a good report card and you can go, oh, that's great. You realize how we use words differently? Well, to the original Hebrew reader, this word cultivate would be different now. Man is put in the garden to worship and obey God. Now he's got to cultivate the garden. And so now this worship is going to be much more difficult because now he's going to have to work even harder for that worship. You following me? And so these same words are being used, but to the original reader, it's going to make perfect sense. So if you keep going through the scriptures, there's some other ways that these words are used also. The same words in Genesis chapter 2 that we talked about. Man's put in the garden and his purpose is to keep and cultivate the garden. That's Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The exact same words show up in Daniel when Daniel's given a picture of what heaven is going to be like. Daniel chapter 7 verse 27. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will worship and obey him. That word serve is the exact same word that's translated worship in other places of the scripture. Heaven is going to be characterized by being an everlasting kingdom And all the people in heaven are going to be characterized by their worship and obedience to the Lord. It's one of the things that's going to make heaven so great. You think about the things that make this life miserable. And it's people lying and cheating and stealing. And the ugliness that goes on in this world. When you get to heaven, all of that's going to be gone. Because heaven's going to be characterized by people who worship and obey God. True worshipers of God. Keep going. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to read that one. I'm going to have to flip to it. This is Revelation chapter 4. And as we get down to the last book that we're given in the scriptures, Revelation chapter 4, 5 through 11, you kind of get the curtain pulled back in the book of Revelation, and you get to see what's going on in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. It says this, Out of the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass. Like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say. Now, I'm just going to take a brief time out. You read through the book of Revelation, and you can't get away from, with us living on on this side of the Enlightenment, you can't read through Revelation with going, boy, that sounds weird. Like, that, this, what's being described is, does not seem normal. These, these things that are being described, they don't seem normal. Uh, there seems to be weird creatures. There seems to be all of this stuff that I don't understand at all. And just think for a second of things that you see on a daily basis. Everybody's seen the crest that the Lions Club has, right? But try to describe that to someone, right? Try to put into words what that looks like. You've all seen the crest that the, uh, that the Navy SEALs wear on their chest, right? It's got a big trident on it. It's a bird holding something in its claws. Like, if you were to describe that with words... You would be like, boy, that's a weird looking thing that they've got. Well, we get used to symbols. We have symbols in our daily life. If you were to even think of something like a company's logo, 
right? And think about how hard that would be to put into words. Try explaining what a deer looks like to somebody, right? It's a furry animal, white tail, horns coming out of its head. I mean, unless you're really, really good with words, and unless somebody's seen what you're trying to describe, it is tough to put into words what somebody's actually seeing. That's why all the time in the book of Revelation, the writer will say, I saw something like this. Okay? So just know, going into that, that these creatures, these four living creatures, all of these other things are saying day and night, this is the middle of verse 8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, that's worship, gang, giving glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. And now verse 10, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. And so you find in the book of Revelation that Revelation is made up of these people who are worshiping the Lord. And so Paul is going to say that we need to do work on this earth. We need to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, right? You're all familiar with this language that Paul says. Well, some of your treasures in heaven are that you're going to be given different crowns for things that you've done, right? And then you're given a picture in the book of Revelation of what people are doing in heaven. And so we on this earth, we, we strive and we work hard to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We're doing all these things for the Lord. And then, so then when we get to heaven, hopefully we're all going to get a well-done, good and faithful servant. Then we're going to be given crowns for all of the great things that we've done. And then you find a characteristic of these people who are worshiping the Lord in heaven is that everything that they worked so hard for, God is so great that we're going to give everything that we worked for right back to God again, throwing it at his feet. And the picture here, is that true worshipers of God live lives that are sold out to Him and everything that they do with their lives is all for His glory and His honor. And when you step across to the other side and get to heaven, nothing changes. You don't magically become something different when you get to heaven. It's a continuation of the same thing. And so that same worship that you started here on earth, living your life sold out to the Lord, is simply going to continue when you get into heaven. And so here's, here's the, the checkpoint, gang. If you're not living your life here on this earth, sold out to heaven, living your life 100% for Jesus Christ, you don't match the description of people who are going to be in heaven. That's a, that's a tough thing to say. But it would be horrible as a pastor to pamper someone their whole life in church Telling them that everything they're doing is great. Everything you're doing is fantastic. When in reality, the scriptures may paint a different picture of your life. Right? And so, here's what we need to do, gang. We need to size up our lives. We need to, to do some self-examination with the scriptures tell us to do all the time. Examine our lives and, and do we look like those people in heaven? Do we look like the people in heaven who are giving everything that they've earned back to the Father being grateful? And this keeps going on in the book of Revelation. After chapter 4, you've got Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. This is 11 through 14. He says, Then I looked, 
And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. This is a this is literally tons and tons of people. They were saying, verse 12, with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And I want you to see what part of their worship is. Part of their worship entails these things that they're saying. And listen to the things that they're saying about the Lord and why they're worshiping the Lord. This is in the middle of verse 13. Well, I'll back up to verse 12. They say, Worthy is the Lamb. He's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and might. Then in the middle of 13, to him who sits on the throne, who sits on a throne? Kings. Kings sit on thrones. Who has all of the power in the kingdom? The king does. And so what I want you to see is that these people recognize who God is. He's the king sitting on the throne. He's the one that deserves to be blessed. He's the one that deserves the honor. He's the one that deserves the glory. He's the one that has all of the might and wisdom and glory and blessing. And these are people who realize in heaven who they are. They realize who they are. Who are we according to the scriptures? We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were separated from God. There was no way that we, as people on this earth, could ever get back to God. But God, being rich in mercy, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And so, we were incapable of getting to God. God loves us so much that He sent His Son, also God, to become man on our behalf, dies the death that we deserve to live, so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life in heaven. And these people who are worshipers of God have given their whole life to worship the King who loved them when they were unlovable and drew them to Himself. And they realize how great He is and how He is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. And if we don't worship God like that here, do not think that something magic happens when you get to heaven and you all of a sudden begin to worship God like that. We need to be worshiping God like that here. We need to constantly be living our lives, realizing who we were, what God did, and how fantastic He is, and how worthy of worship He is as a result of all of that. And so you can keep going through the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, flip over again. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so, gang, again, you have these people in heaven are giving everything to the Lord in worship because they realize who He is. The next one is in Revelation chapter 11. 
Revelation chapter 11, verse 5. And this is during the time of the tribulation that people get to see a glimpse of what Christ's reign forever is going to look like. Genesis, excuse me, Revelation. It's in the complete wrong section of the Bible. Revelation chapter 11, verse 5 says this. Well, that's the wrong scripture. 15. 15 through 17. Here we go. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying... The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And so listen to this very carefully. These are people that get a glimpse of heaven, excuse me, these are people in heaven who are worshiping the Lord because he has taken all of the power that he has and he has begun to reign. And this is, this is a real gut check, okay? These people are excited because God's taken all of his power and they're reigning over him. Get this? These people are happy because they have a king who's reigning over them. If you're living your life as king of your own life, you're not worshiping the Lord. Followers of Christ, true worshipers of Christ, gladly and joyfully prostrate themselves before the Lord and gladly give their whole life to Him because they know that He's a good, just, perfect king who can control their life better than they can. And so a good way to see if your life is characterized by worship is when it's time to make a decision, who makes the decision in your life? You or the Lord? Do you, do you pray about decisions that you have to make? And do you gladly yield yourself to the answer that the Lord gives you? And if the answer is no, you might not be a true worshiper of the Lord. Because look at what these people are excited about. Chapter 11, verse 15. Actually, going over to verse 17. We give thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. And so true worshipers of God are looking forward to that day where Christ sets up his reign on this earth, when the new heavens and the new earth come into place. And gang, if you haven't given Christ authority over your life, you're not going to be excited when he sets up his reign here on earth if you haven't already submitted yourself to his leadership. Just something to, something to give some thought to as we're talking about this theme of worship. And then this is the last one that we're going to turn to. This is Revelation chapter 20. This is at the very end. And this is how we wind up the whole thing. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4. Verse 4 is long. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them. And judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded... Because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. And had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I'm going to read that again. I'm going to give you a little bit of background. When the end of times come, there's going to be an antichrist who comes. And people are going to worship the antichrist. They're going to worship the beast. And they're going to take on that mark of the beast if they worship him. You with me? 
true worshipers of God stay away from the beast. They stay away from taking that sign and they only worship the Lord. And so I want you to see this again. This is, then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So I want you to see this. Hang on. You you may be thinking, okay, I was tracking with exactly what you were talking about. You had a relatively good thing going. And then you started talking about people being beheaded and coming back to life. And then I lost track of where you were talking about. During the time of the tribulation, there are true worshipers of God who will lose their heads for the sake of worshiping Christ. You don't get to worship Christ on your own terms. Worshiping Christ can and will cost you something on this earth. The book of James is going to say, count it all blessing, my brethren, when you face trials and persecutions of every kind. Right? So we know that following Christ, true worship of Christ is going to have its fair share of persecution, troubles, and trials. Maybe even the point to losing your head for the sake of following Christ. Now listen, you may think, well, man, this guy has just gone off the deep end. But there are people around the world serving as missionaries that are losing their heads every single day. By people who worship Allah. And the cost of worshiping Christ, the cost of being a true worshiper of the Lord in different Muslim contexts is losing your head. And I want you to know that God knows that it might cost you something to worship him. But over and over and over in the scriptures, you see that if it costs you everything to worship God, you still win. If you and your whole family lose your heads because of worship to God, you still win. Because you have an eternity where the God who created you and loves you and gave his own son's life for you is going to reward you. Because you stayed faithful to him. And so the reason I end with something is, 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 is gut-wrenching as being beheaded for the sake of Christ is to tell you that worship of our God is not always easy. But worship of our God is always worth it. Amen? And we cannot be people who only worship, quote-unquote, on Sunday morning from 11 to 12. We can't be those people. We have to be people who live sold-out lives to Jesus Christ regardless of the cost I want to tell you about one of my favorite folks that was in our church. It was, and I'm not just saying this because um, Alice was here, is here. Bobby Eubanks. I want to tell you something that was special about Bobby. I said this at his funeral. I've visited all of you guys at, at different times, hopefully. This is what set Bobby apart. When I saw Bobby, no matter how bad things were going, no matter how hard it was to breathe, none of that, you know what he wanted to talk about? He wanted to talk about the Lord. He wanted to talk about, despite everything he had going against him health-wise, he wanted to talk about how great the Lord was. i tell you something else that's neat about Bobby is that Bobby prayed for his family members. And the reason I tell you that no matter what this life brings us, it's worth it if we follow Christ. Bobby's grandson, Zach, who he prayed for all the time, who he asked me to pray for all the time, gave his life to Christ this week. Bobby didn't get to see it in his lifetime. But you rest assured that that same man who worshiped God, no matter how hard life got, he got to see from heaven his grandson give his life to the Lord. 
And so I'm telling you, gang, everything you've worked for on this earth doesn't go away when you die, right? Bobby's grandson is going to follow him into heaven. You with me? All because Bobby was a sold-out worshiper to Christ. And gang, we need to be the same thing. And we need to be pleading for the souls of our family members who are lost, who aren't fully sold-out worshipers of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that regardless of what this life brings us, that worshiping you is worth it. Father, we thank you that while we were in our sin and shame, you loved us so much that you went to the cross for us and you died. You died the death we deserved so that we could enjoy an eternity with you. And Father, I pray that we take full advantage of that opportunity to enjoy an eternity with you. And I pray that we would worship you day and night. Lord, I pray that that worship would start now. I pray that every aspect of our lives would be lived for you. And Father, I pray that when we transition out of this world into heaven, that nothing would change except for we have a better picture of who you are. Father, help us to see clearly. Help us to size up our lives and where we are. And Father, I pray that you would impress on our hearts how much you love us so that we can then in turn love you even more. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never given their life to you, I pray that today would be the day they do it. I pray that today would be the day they stop chasing after their own hopes and dreams. And Lord, I pray that they would pick up what your will is for their life. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with us for a hymn of invitation. Um, I also want to remind you that our Tuesday night, Night of Hope thing is going fantastic. We've been making some good progress on, on some of our flooded out homes in Windsor. And the list is dwindling smaller and smaller and smaller. Now there's only about four homes left to be worked on in Windsor. And so uh, we have revival next week. So not this week. Sunday is the first day of the week. So not this week, but next week we have revival Sunday through Tuesday. That Tuesday was our normal time to go out and work on houses. But uh, a lot of our folks uh, want to do it this week as well. So this Tuesday night, we'll meet again at six o'clock like we have been. We'll go out for two and a half hours, work on some houses in town, and then uh, then be wrapped up for the night. So I'll send out an email tomorrow. If you can participate, we'd love to have you. We'll share a meal together at six, work till 830 and uh, go home. I love you guys. Hope you have a fantastic week. And I'm going to ask again if Dr. Tarkington, if you'd close us in prayer.